Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Tendy Talk. I am your host, Joe, better known as Washed Up Goalie on social media. You may have noticed some subtle changes to the podcast last week, like the fact that there was no ad for Anchor. That's because I'm excited to announce I'm teaming up with the Beer League Players Association to add Tendy Talk to their podcast network. The BLPA is building a network of podcasts so a new episode can drop each day of the week. Tendy Talk is staking its claim to Tuesdays for now. So what does that mean for Tendy Talk? For you, the listener, absolutely nothing. Other than the fact that you might see the BLPA logo in the bottom corner of the podcast art. For me, it means I upload my episodes to a different spot each week instead of Anchor. Nothing big. For WashUpGoalie.com, though, we'll be migrating all of the content from that site over to the BeerLeagueInc.com website. Don't worry, though. If you type washedupgoalie.com into your browser or have it bookmarked, we'll be adding a redirect to the washedupgoalie slash tendytalk content on the Beer League Inc. site. So it'll be easy to find, nice and organized so that it'll be a better experience. This is a win-win situation for both parties. Is the BLPA not only adds a podcast to their network and their quest to have one launch each day of the week, but they also add some goaltending content to the lineup as well. For me, it exposes my content to a larger audience, which will hopefully lead to more views of the content and listeners to the podcast. The folks over at the BLPA are giving me free reign to operate as I have been, so really nothing's going to change in the big scheme of things. So now to this week's episode, and what an episode it was. This week, I had a chat with Don Strauss, the creator of the armadillo goalie mask and painter of all those masks. Mask worn by Steve Shields and his iconic open mouth shark in San Jose. 
previous Tendy Talk guests Kelly Rudy and his Hollywood mask, and most notably John Van Beesbrook. He wore the armadillo, started in New York, but probably made it famous with his Florida Panthers uh, mask. And he, he had some other great ones from Team USA, the New York Islanders, and uh, uh, who else did he play for? The, the Philadelphia Flyers. That, that was another great one. Uh, so without further ado, enjoy the episode with Don. Don, thank you for joining me. It's uh, really a treat to have you on the podcast as somebody who grew up uh, and not only seeing but admiring your work in the NHL for many years. Oh, th- thank you very much. It's uh, glad you take the time and uh, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I- I'm grateful to uh, <laughs> Matt from Vintage Goalie as well, who um, connected us and told you that, uh, yeah, if I reach out, you should respond to him. <laughs> so I, I, I appreciate his uh, brokering this this meeting. Uh, and b- before we get too deep into things, I got to share the story of, um, in high school, I, I took an art class because I was somewhat artistic. My grandfather was a uh, graphic designer before the day and age of computers. So everything was by hand. So I, I got a little bit of an artistic bug, nothing like yourself. And Every single project I did that year in art class, I did a goalie mask of some sort. And, and I had the, the discussion with my teacher. She's like, does everything have to be a goalie mask? I said, yes, it does. And she goes, but why? I said, look at them. They're, they're true works of art. And finally, I got her to come around to uh, my understanding. Congratulations, yeah. <laughs> the very first one I drew was the John Van Beesbrook Panther helmet, the, the forehead. And she was like, that's really cool, but why? <laughs> uh, no, that, that's flattering. Thank you so much. That's... Yes, yes. So I, I don't know if you've had a chance to, you know, <clears throat> list to any of the previous podcast episodes, but the idea behind it is to talk to other goalies and people connected with goaltending to uh, learn a little bit about them, both within the sport and away from the sport. So um, I, I think the discussion with you is going to be really interesting because you weren't a goalie and so much of your life has been outside of the sport and something completely different. Yes, it, uh, it, it, it has been an odd, I'm going to say a, a not so much an odd fit, but a, an odd convergence. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> certainly different uh, interests and abilities and technologies that all seem to cross roads and uh, for, for not having any, any history in, in the game and mm-hmm. any real connection to it. Um, it's, it's still kind of bordering on unnerving how deep <laughs> I, I've fallen into it. So it's, Yeah. You know, so for, for those that don't know, you're growing up, your dad is a Canadian motorsports hall of famer in drag racing. Uh, so that that's where your background really lies is in the auto racing industry which makes me wonder um how a guy like eddie belfort never became one of your clients because he's such a big at the time was a big racing fan you know he had his uh favorite car on the back plate of his helmet for many years and then you have a guy like the recently retired Corey crawford was a bit of a gearhead and a guy (laughs) like uh, mike mckenna and Craig Anderson, you know, it just seemed like these are guys that I would think would have just naturally gravitated towards somebody like yourself. Yeah, certainly was, I think, uh, some different eras involved. Certainly 
Um, I, I was in, in the game when, when Ed was playing. Yep. And it's, it, it's a much bigger pond yep. than, than most people give it credit for. Um, for the, I guess, the better part of 15 years that I was involved with it, I would say 60% at least of the guys playing, I never had a chance to meet with. Um, just with travel schedules and um, what, what I what I did was well beyond just I don't I hate the word just but uh, <laughs> only dealing with pro stuff. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The, the the masks that I built were the first ones through with CSA approval on them, yep. and opened up a really big door for the retail market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I had kids as young as nine, as nine years old wearing this, wearing the product right through to the NHL guys. Yeah. And being predominantly a one guy show, there was, that's probably what wore all my hair off. And I had to <laughs> wear many, many hats, um, everything from the production to <clears throat> um, all the design, the paint work, mm-hmm. feeling the phone calls, the orders, the service, getting out on the roads on the road to meet with goalies passing through town. <clears throat> uh, was fortunate that where, where I live or where the shop is or where the shop was, was almost right in the middle of, I had access to Toronto uh, being an hour or so away from where I'm at. Uh, Buffalo was a couple hours and Detroit was three. Mm-hmm. So I, um, w- within driving distance, I had a few, few arenas to, to choose from. But it, it was just really challenging to schedule and to meet with the guys and understand too, this, this was all before the internet. Yes. So there were, wasn't the option for emails or any social media. It was all, all word of mouth, picking up phone, calling, um, just the, the old fashioned networking stuff. And uh, uh, it, I think my job would have been a lot easier today with, as you mentioned, our technology that we struggled with earlier in the show, <laughs> uh, it, it still would have made it much easier to try to coordinate and, and get the word out there to people. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. So I want to back up a little bit for folks. Um, you know, that, that background in auto racing, you know, you didn't grow up playing hockey. You, you grew up at the racetrack, you know, following dad around. I, I would assume a lot of times going around the US because I if I read right on your um, website you know he was one of maybe what two or three Canadians in the sport at the time so you spent a lot of time probably south of the border as a kid Did a fair bit yes and there were again the, the good news was is that there were three um, I guess as, as pop moved along through his career from being predominantly um, <clears throat> active in the the local, tracks and there, there was a few in our area to choose from um it was probably at least three three nights a week um and i think back it probably not a whole lot different than somebody playing travel hockey uh, <laughs> where we would be wednesday nights at such and such a track and yep fridays here and sundays at, at the other spot so um a, a lot of traveling in this neck of the woods and then as the the larger national events came along. It would require a lot of travel to the U.S. They were in Quebec a fair bit. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, yeah there, there was a, a lot of miles spent getting to the different spots. And as he progressed up through the ranks, um, it was a lot more US-based than, than what it was in our, our neighborhood stuff, that, that's for certain. And I'm going to guess it's, you know, some of the, those hours on the road and sitting around the pits that uh, that's when you were pick, picking up the pen and pencil and just uh, honing that craft of art. Is that a pretty accurate assumption? Uh, it, it's, yeah, I look like you were sitting over my shoulders peeking, I guess, for something going on. But it, uh, yeah, there were many, and I guess this would have started when I was, oh, gosh, uh, give it seven, eight years old, I guess, is when, when these wheels started turning. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was limited resources for young kids to deal with that at some of these places. <laughs> and yeah, it was a, it was a family event, but uh, my mother, my sister, myself, we were all traveling um, at the, at, with my dad for the events, mm-hmm. but there were, yeah, a lot of, a lot of down hours when I really wasn't involved in any of the mechanical process or between rounds servicing on the vehicles. Um, yeah, I had my trusty pencils and, and doodle pads, I guess, to, to keep me busy. And uh, <clears throat> it, it was certainly, uh, um, art, art was the original gift or the, the drawing was the original gift that I had. Mm-hmm. And I think because of the environment I grew up in, um, the mechanical and, and the engineering-ish side of stuff really, uh, what was a learned craft more so yep. than a natural craft. You learned by osmosis, right? You, you got yes. to see, you got to see it done. So out of curiosity, you know, every artist I know, they have the one thing they always start drawing. My, my daughter is huge into art right now. She loves drawing people. Uh, you know, it started out with eyes and then it went to noses. Now it's people, you know, as a kid at the racetrack, what were you drawing? You know, what, what was your inspiration at the time? Um, it's probably won't come as a big shock to you or anybody else. It was yeah, predominantly cars. Yep. Um, it, it was all I knew. My father was in the industry, um, ran an, an automotive service garage up until probably three years ago. He was daily involved daily in, in that part. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was at his nine at his service station for the most of it growing up. Um, when it was time to go to work. I was almost dragged out of the out of bed Saturday <laughs> mornings by my ears to go and, and learn the craft. Yep. Um, but I was pre- pretty much always immersed up up to my neck in car stuff. Yeah. Um, my doodles were all of the, the craziest cars at the track at the time. Some of my own invention. Um, certainly, the the people around the track um, gathered. I guess a fair bit of interest as well and by sort of honing my caricature skills and car doodling skills from, from a young age. So, so what was your favorite car to draw then? Uh, Cause it seems like everybody has their favorite thing. They draw over and over. What was that one car you just kept trying to perfect? Um, probably, probably it sounds, I, I'd be lying if I said it probably wasn't one of the cars that my dad was driving and, mm-hmm. and building through, throughout it. And it changed over the years of, of the car that he had, but uh, you, we got to see so many of the, the big historical names, and, I, and I'm sure I didn't appreciate it as much <laughs> as a kid as I, I do now. Looking back through some of the old discoveries that I had stored away for the last 30, 40, 50 years, I guess that stuff had been tucked away. 
and it it was the the icons of the industry mm -hmm. um, probably not much different than a, a young kid of an nhl player following his dad to work yep. and hanging out in the dressing rooms and the travel all the behind the scenes stuff that most people don't get a chance to see yeah um, I, I was fortunate enough to live that firsthand and um, really wish I would have appreciated it more other than, I guess, appreciated it for more for what it really was in a historic sense than just going to hang out at the track with, with the family on the weekend. Yeah, it's funny you say that. One of my college teammates was Brian Trachier Jr. Uh, you know, and he talks of, uh, he remembers his dad's time most in Pittsburgh. And at the mm -hmm. time, that team had a lot of veterans. And then you had this 18 year old rookie named Yermer Yager on the team who still playing at 50 some odd years old. And he said, you know, after practice, Yager would come home with his dad and hang out with Trotch Jr. because they were closer in age than most of his teammates. And they would okay. sit around and play, you know, NHL 94 all day. And he goes, I didn't think about it at the time. It was just, you know, these are the people I was around every day. And uh, it was just normal to him. And the rest of us in the locker room are like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like you're sitting there being a buddies with him. So it, it makes sense. And every child of an athlete or, uh, you know, somebody of note, they, they're just like, well, that was just mom or dad. And those were the people <laughs> we hung around. And uh, it, it, it reminds you that at the end of the day, the people we look up to are just people. They're no different than you or I. Oh, very, very true. It's, and it's something that I, I guess, had to pick up really early on, probably not purposefully, but again, through the osmosis that you had mentioned <laughs> earlier on, um, yeah, it, it, it didn't matter whether it was somebody pulling up to the pumps for gas, just a, a, a Bill Smith, mm -hmm. or on the weekends, you would be, I'm going to reach out to touch you, but as close as you are to me right now. Yeah from the key players in the industry yep. and it was just there were folks there were people treated people nicely or not and it didn't matter whether they were world-class stars or the guys next door it was a it, kind of a, a nice big pool to to be around yeah and it's funny the the chances i've had to be around known people the more you treat them like an everyday person and you're not in awe of them the more personable they are and the more they mm -hmm. like you for it it's like oh you, you're not uh one of those people that just wants my autograph and you know wants to hear all my stories you're gonna give it back to me and joke with me and all that good stuff it's like yep yeah that, that's how it is you're, you're just uh to quote Jacques Lemaire one of the guys and <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, even Leonard Skinner even had a song about that that if you want to talk about fishing that's all right but uh and we'll, we'll leave the music stuff for some other points. So. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I apologize because I, I did my homework beforehand. And this is one of the things I wanted to ask, you know, growing up in Canada, were you a fan of hockey as a kid? Was it, was it something on your radar or were you just, you know, nose down into the under the hood trying to absorb as much of uh, motorsports as you could? This is uh, a part of night. I still even have trouble saying it or understanding it that, um, I, I was never a hockey fan, um, <laughs> didn't watch it on television. I, I was certainly familiar with names of the era of the, the Gordy Howes and the Bobby Orrs. Mm -hmm. and there, I, I don't think you can walk the planet Earth and not be exposed to those caliber of players. Yep. 
but there was no rushing home for Saturday night to watch hockey night in Canada. Um, it, it, it just, it was a different world. I, I know my mother was a hockey fan, but it, it isn't anything that rubbed off on the rest of us for it. It was uh, uh, the, the first time that I saw people playing hockey on ice in person was the day that I delivered Mark LaForest's mask to him at the New York Rangers <laughs> training camp. Um, so my, it, it seems odd, but we kind of started at the top and <laughs> yeah. backwards from there. So, so you mentioned mom was the hockey fan out of curiosity. What was her team? Who did she root for? Um, I, I truly don't re- recall who she cheered for when it was happening. I know she was a, a big Wayne Gretzky fan, um, but I guess like all moms, she really took an interest in the teams that I work with okay. and the players that I work with. So there was a, um, a lot of hometown support, I guess, for the, yep. for the work that we did. And it's, yeah. it, it's having that one or that one step away from the actual event. So you, you get a bit of a bond with it, I think. So, yep. That, that makes complete sense. Um, so as the story goes, both on your, your website and on uh, the Vintage Goalie website, you kind of fell into this hockey universe by accident when a friend of yours who played rec hockey wanted you to paint him a mask. Uh, when did that happen? Was this, you know, in the high school years? Uh, you know, how old about were you at that time when he was like, hey, you got some skill, uh, put something on the mask. Yeah, old enough to know better is probably the correct <laughs> answer. For that. Uh, but it, it would have been yeah, mid twenties, mid to late twenties, I guess, when that all started to roll. Um, I had again my my career. I'm still still hands in uh, some interior refinishing and and some cool art pieces there, um, as well as involved on the weekends continued on in motorsports as well from uh, for when my dad retired from racing um excuse me i had no choice but to be involved with it it, it was almost a, a foregone conclusion uh, so i w- went through the the driving aspect and the schooling there and picked up into some of the crew work that the the folks that looked after my father's racing program in the latter years mm-hmm. um, also then rolled on and got into uh, Can-Am and then subsequently IndyCar work with Jacques Villeneuve, Jacques Villeneuve Sr., the, the uncle, not the, the younger, younger Jacques. Okay. And that sort of crossed into or wide out into uh, work with Porsche endurance racing. And again, a lot of these people that I had, met um i guess that, that my father was racing with or on on his team that went off in these other branches and grew um a lot of them became a very a very good source of information a lot of very good help in in the initial sorting out of concepts for what the original mask was but um while that was on a parallel path yeah there was uh, the friend of mine from town who I guess as these combo masks were first starting to take root and, and really gain some steam, again, he probably like a lot of other goaltenders of the year said, wow, I've, I've got to get one of these planned. Yep. It's really cool. And, 
found somebody to build him build him his mask and then as you may know wanted my help in as far as laying some paintwork on it and styling it so he didn't just come to you to say hey can you paint a mask i already have he said hey i want you to build me a mask and maybe put something pretty on it uh no the, the first step actually was where he had again i didn't know he was doing this but went out and found someone to build him a mask okay um and then when he got the mask back it was then my job to paint his mask for him okay and so we, we disassembled the mask and, and got it ready to go and um and then the gears started going and you were kind of like I, I might be able to do something better than this it, it started that way yeah it was we were a little disappointed with the, the fit and finish of the part when we got it back and mm -hmm. um from the art side i had the mechanical side he was also in in an automotive industry and in the bodywork side of things so there was some some room for improvement we thought and yep and then as I say the the gears start turning with how can we make this or how, how can I make this better mm -hmm. and so left with a, a clean sheet of paper uh, or starting with a clean sheet of paper um, and not having any preconceived preconditioned views as to how how the product should be other than what I had in front of me and what you would obviously see in the newspaper, the odd television clip that you'd pass yep. over. Um, and it was probably the thing that helped make the armadillo that I built as distinctive and different and as what it was, because we didn't have, we, we weren't in the vacuum that everybody that else is in the hockey industry is. They've, um, of all the other masks, that have come along since the late 80s they have a similar yeah. style to them you know the, the holes might be different there might be a little bit different ribbing but your mask is really the only one that has a different profile to it uh you know all of, all of them kind of have a similar if you were to you well i'll step back you could use a simple mask template to draw up what, what you want it doesn't matter if it's a old iTech, a Bauer, a CCM, or even the new Warriors, but the Armadillo, it had its own unique look. You, you can spot an Armadillo out of the crowd any day, but you know some of these other ones, it's like, well, is that a Warrior or is that a CCM? I'm not right. really sure. Yeah, and, and they all seem to draw from, I think anybody else in the industry uh, knows probably one of the, I guess the, the leading makers and has the most number of of goalies that he's worked with over the years, built some incredible stuff uh, with Greg Harrison. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah, as an Eddie Belfour fan, he you know he made the the iconic original Belfour eagle mask. So yes, yes. I'm familiar with his work. The list and the list goes on from there. He um, was really influential in in that whole concept. So most of the other builders, uh, to paraphrase the whole concept of it, but. I was a goalie. I wanted a mask. I built myself a mask. Yep. My buddy wanted one. I built him one too, and so on and so on. They told two friends, and just like that old shit. So the story goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anybody who was in the industry playing and wanted a mask was reminded multiple times a day or multiple times a week of this is what the gold standard for a product should be. Right. Um, so they all subconsciously or a lot of them consciously borrowed very strongly from Greg's build concept 
and that's why you see the look of so many of them are the same yep because they shared his concepts yep and not coming from that part of the world um i really wasn't there's a precondition that it had to look this way or it didn't have to protect this way um so having a, a different life to draw from a different set of skill sets um just a whole clear open mind to to approach the the task um it, it resulted in in a different product yeah um, and a different product that like you said was the first one to get csa certification um and probably to this day some would argue the safest goalie mask on the market um i and i don't think that'd be too far off it um yeah, that, that'll take us down a whole other path. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah, state of the industry and, and masks and, and that whole product. That's, uh, that, that'd be a heck of a rabbit hole to fall into. <laughs> that, that's it, why uh, I put my notes together because I, I easily fall down rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a feeling we, uh, I don't know, we'll have uh, service for drinks and snacks later, but this could go on for quite some time. Uh, but it, uh, the the mission, the the whole concept for the armadillo, the the mission statement behind it, was build the best mask available, no excuses. No, oh, we would have done this except it cost this much. Or it was we. I, I was fortunate that I had access to some of the the technology that was that the indie cars were built from. Um, some of the greatest minds in the industries from the composite materials to overall engineering, um, some of the best fabricators that have ever existed. And these were, these were the folks in my sandbox. So it mm -hmm. was, um, and, and all the goofy ideas I had coming up would present it to the different layer of brains and they would either say, yes, let's run with this or mm -hmm. suggest I would go a different direction or laugh at me. Um, it, it was a full, <laughs> a full carnival of different emotions I got back. But, well, and the idea of using auto racing as the background for protecting the head, mm -hmm. when you step back and look at it and go, well, that makes sense because they spent years and a lot of money and research to keep their drivers safe. Mm -hmm. uh, so to, to use that knowledge base and that background, makes sense uh you know and when, when you start thinking about football you would think they'd do the same thing it, and now they've gone a different route but that that's again another rabbit hole but it makes sense to rely on the expertise and the knowledge of a group of people that have spent so much time and effort already researching it and, and it is and you had mentioned certainly with the auto racing and, and football that um they neither of those industries football up until the last five years or so they've really picked up their game mm -hmm. uh, but motorsports in general is what is what you win with today is obsolete six months from now yep there is always the push for everything ha there's always better um and they shave decimals to find out what that better is and it's not just Hey, we've got a working package. We can ride on this for 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, you take a look at what, what IndyCar is or the Formula One industry. Um, the the state-of-the-art vehicle from five years ago 
it, it isn't fit to make the track now in, in comparison. And yeah. I, I'm not a huge car person just because I grew up with a dad who didn't know how to change his own oil. God love him. Mm-hmm. But one thing I've always appreciated about auto racing is a guy wins the pole. He's still going to tinker on his car until the race starts. Like you said, they're, they're never satisfied. And at the same time, the governing bodies of auto racing, they're not going to wait till the end of the year to change a rule. If it makes sense, we're going to change it between two races. It's the, like you said, never being happy with what you have. Always make it better. And, and from a performance standpoint, and, and probably even more so yet from the safety part of it. Yep. Um, with the, the headgear or the, the helmets that they wear, um, every five years they rewrite the safety standards for helmets. Mm-hmm. So what you would wear as a driver, if I went and bought a helmet today and up to the most current standards, um, it's superseded with a new model, better, faster, lighter, stronger five years from now. Mm-hmm. And the way the rules are set up, I think they grandfather in, depending on the industry or the, the class that you're in, they give you a five-year grace period. So you mm-hmm. can, in essence, excuse me, get 10 years out of a helmet, uh, which most of the guys that I've worked with would go through 10 helmets a season <laughs> as opposed to one helmet for 10 seasons. But um, it, it's mandated in the rules that all your safety gear from the suits that you wear and it, the level of fire protection to the mm-hmm. shoes and gloves and helmets, the safety belts, everything is, it, it, it's updated every handful of years. So Yeah, and that's, I, I think that's fantastic. You know, as I said, my dad couldn't change the oil in our vehicles to save his life, but what he was really good at was firefighting. That was his job, 30 years oh, in Chicago. And um, my cousin, who's also a firefighter, loves auto racing. So my dad taught auto extrication. So in terms, he can't fix a car, but he can tear one apart in minutes. He's great at that. Uh, but uh, he had some connections to folks at the Chicago Motor Speedway and got him and my cousin in on one of the races. Nice. And, you know, he thought this will be neat from my dad's standpoint to look at cars he doesn't get to look at every day and figure out how can I tear it apart. And my cousin was like, this is great. I get to go to a race for free, but sit in the pits. Well, my cousin's pit that he was assigned to, because as you know, every crew gets their own fire crew. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my cousin's pit was right in the middle of pit row. He had a view about this big of the the race. And my dad, his pit that he was assigned to was the very first one in the pit row. So we had the whole turn and his guy crashed on the second lap. So they had all day just to walk the infield and do whatever. And my cousin's going, how do you like them apples? The one guy who doesn't know anything about auto racing gets the best view of the track. Um, And a free pass to cruise around. Yeah, exactly. Um, But uh, back to my notes here, I'm going to try and stay stay somewhat uh, (laughs) um, uh, on them. So you mentioned Mark LaForest earlier. He was the first pro goalie you had with, with the Rangers and you know, you're, you've shared pictures of his mask on Instagram and it's on your webpage and it's a very simple, uh, you know, blue background, nice looking, almost like Oak tree on it on either side to fit the name LaForest. How, how did you start at the top with the pros? You know, how did you get connected with him uh, to really open that door with the Rangers? I guess that it intermixed with, 
uh, it also I'd probably all started with luck. <laughs> probably <laughs> the easiest way to say it. Uh, the timing of being in the right spot at the right time, because um, it timed out. Oh, it wasn't weeks after we undertook the project of painting my friend's mask and, and getting that done and tuned up. Mm -hmm. uh, right when that project came to completion, um, and there, there was some rumblings and chat about uh, the start of this new mask that, that we we're going to design and build, and it timed out with uh, John Brown, the the equipment mm -hmm. manufacturer. Um, he, I think, Mark was one of one of his guys he had, and they they would travel around to different sports stores throughout the off season as as a bit of a promotion and stirring up some interest in their gear and they would have I guess their pro goalies show up at different retail stores around as a, a great drawing crowd to bring the folks in and get get right. your stuff autographed and, and meet yep. the pros um, the sports store in our town again I didn't know it was having Mark in on a Saturday afternoon to show the gear off and sign autographs and meet folks and uh, so the buddy of mine was aware of this and a friend of his worked at the store. So it was kind of an easy trip in to stand in line and conversation. I think my buddy might've brought his mask along as a bit of a talking point and Mark showed a fair bit of interest in it. And um, at one point said, oh, that's really cool. Could you guys make me a mask? And without thinking yes was the instant <laughs> response that happened for it and realizing that training camp really wasn't that far away. So it was uh, really had to push the go button and really accelerate the timeline from concept and development and to get his piece ready for him. And um, it was, I think anybody who's ever started their own deal up have, have the same story of it, I guess up till the almost completion, there was working your day job, then working this project in, in evenings and weekends. Yep. And the last week leading up to it, I think I, I woke up to start my day job on Wednesday. The timeline was at crunch, worked overnight Wednesday on, on the mask project, day job <laughs> on Thursday, overnight Thursday on the mask, day job Friday. And then after the day job Friday, finished off the... I guess the finishing touches on the paintwork, and it was eleven o'clock Friday night that we actually had to hang our freshly cleared wet paint with coat hangers in the back of my van and started <laughs> our trip to New York to deliver this mask that we had to meet up with Mark. It started Saturday at training camp did, so we were, we hit the road with the mask dripping wet in paint with all the cages and the foam and the bits and pieces just kind of in bags that we had to take with us and assembly of the product happened on route. Um, so I'm, I'm sure by the time we got to New York with this freshly almost dry mask that uh, I, I'm sure Mark must've got a bit of a chemical buzz off it just because it was still, the paint was still gassing off on him by the time we got to him. So. Now looking at that original mask, it, it has that, armadillo look and feel to it but you can tell there were some refinements made after that was mark instrumental in helping you say you know if i really like this part or was it just kind of that ongoing uh auto racing things can always be better mentality that that you 
continued to make refinements and different versions. Yeah, yeah certainly re refinements are always, uh, and purposefully as well as subconsciously, that, that, that gear is always turning to, to make things better, faster, stronger, lighter. Um, when Mark's first one was built, the, the friend of mine that was involved with it was was very steeped in hockey and um, had, I don't want to say it was a 50-50 deal that we had going on, but both of us were putting our work and our efforts and thoughts into it. Mm -hmm. And he drew very heavily, as all the other mask makers of the <laughs> era did, on what he saw on TV every Saturday night. Right. It, it, it had to be this way and it had to fit like this. Um, I didn't I guess I pushed for enough of my own tweaks and bits into it to start some of the early armadillo feel and concept and, and ideas into it. Yep. Um, and it and it was probably just that. It was, it was maybe a 50% version of what the final 2.0 turned out to be. Yeah, because I, I've only seen an armadillo mask in person once. I was working hockey camps in college and we had this... Uh, squirt goalie from St. Louis, Missouri. And he was a huge John Van Beesbrook fan. And I remember he had the Van Beesbrook armadillo mask. And I, I was like, this is awesome. I got to check it out. Unfortunately, his head was smaller than mine. So it didn't fit in the mask. So I was able to look at it, hold it and everything is like, I, I like this. And that, that was the only one I've ever seen in person, but I, I could just, there was something about picking it up. You felt it was it had a different feel to it. It was a solid feel to it, and uh, but it was still light, uh, mm -hmm. which was, you look at it and you think it's gonna be a heavy mask and it really wasn't. It was a very nice light mask uh, and, and little things about it, like the rubber around the back on the edges. Um, that to me is somebody who lugs my bag around goes, well, that's just gonna save the paint job. Uh, but little things like that, uh, the attention to detail on that mask was amazing. No, thank you for noticing. It's, uh, yeah, there, there was a, a number of, again, we, I didn't know things were being done differently because I really wasn't aware of the way they were being done in the first place. Right. That's how real change happens, though. Mm -hmm. You go in it with uh, not a great word for it, but an ignorant view of it, not knowing how everybody else is doing it, and you come up with a completely different way that most of the time is a better way of doing it. It, to, to improve, you have to change. Yep. Um, to keep doing the same. Uh, there, there's so many different memes and analogies <laughs> and blips out there of that definition of insanity of doing the same yeah. thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And um, a, a lot of that was stuff that really frustrated me while I was in the industry building pro and retail product, which in, in as what well, was the same part, uh, mm -hmm. the same stuff. John or Kelly or Brian or any of our pro guys we've worked with wore is exactly the same mask that what minor hockey kids would wear. Mm -hmm. There was no watered down version or a souped up version. It was the, the same product was available and fit all the different areas. Uh, so there, you know, it, it wasn't really, really different in that respect. Well, when I read that, I as a consumer and somebody who recently bought a mask a year and a half, two years ago, and really did my research because I've had a few concussions, I loved that because the idea wasn't, well, we have a model for your price point. It was, 
this is the safest model we have. So it's the only model we're going to sell. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I, I see that with a lot of these different mass makers, they have the different, well, if you're playing squirt hockey, you don't need pro level um, protection. Why right. not? It's our head. It's our brain. Why don't we need pro? If there's one piece of equipment where we need pro level protection, it should be the head. It is. And I can, I can truly see there's um, some of the kids that started or the younger ones that I've worked with over the years. Certainly the, the caliber of shots that a lot of 10 year olds can create. Yep. Doesn't rival NHL caliber <laughs> shots coming in. No. Uh, but the adverse side of it is that the product that I built was latest probably still is to this day. Um, a, a finished armadillo I built comes in at under two pounds. Mm -hmm. And so it, aside from being exceptionally protective from impact and the, the forces of pucks and physical contact, um, it was probably the only one that the younger kids could safely support. Like th th their necks are, were probably no bigger round than my wrist. Right. So to have to put a five or what, whatever pound mask on top of some young kid um, it, it's got to be pretty exhausting and, and had the chance then of, uh, I guess, causing its own set of injuries from just head knot and the neck not having enough support to deal with it. So. Yeah. So I want to get back to talking about Mark LaForce. I'm going to guess he was your in to the New York Rangers, essentially, because as far as I know, your next pro goalie to wear the mask was John Van Beesbrook. So did he see Mark's mask and say, hey, because at, at the time he, he was wearing a combo. He was wearing the, yes. the Cooper SK uh, 2000 or whatever it is. And, right. you know, at, at one point he had the Hasha cage and then he went with the cat eye cage. You know, <laughs> um, is that what happened? He just saw Mark's and said, I want to try one of those. Or how did that introduction happen? Yeah, I, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it did for, again, with, with the, res the response that we had with, with Mark and just a super nice guy to start out with. He was, a, I think if you could go back and, and write the script as far as decent guys to meet and help you along the way and just being welcoming and just nice about the whole thing. He, he was a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Um, but as it, it went through with Mark and then the spin we got from it, um, our, our next step was uh, a goalie for the, the Kitchener Rangers, a uh, big junior A squad in town. Mm -hmm. um, how the whole six degree of separation thing connects mm -hmm. the, the guy that we knew that worked at the sports store, his mom and dad billeted players for junior A players when they would come to town. And it turned out that he his family billeted the goaltender from, from our local hockey club. So word of the mask we built for Mark spread and pr pretty quickly in our own, in our own hometown. And so the, the next part that we built actually went on this junior A player, fellow by the name of Mike Torquia, who went on to bigger and better things with Minnesota and Dallas and um, had just a tremendous talent, just a really, really talented dude. Um, and that was the point where we, where I started looking at this is now going to be my day job. Mm -hmm. So we worked on developing a product that was going to make it through CSA. 
dealing with manufacturing issues and repetitiveness and all, mm -hmm. all the stuff that we had to do our background on and refine, as what you made mention before, refine the original version of which Mark and this, uh, which Mike Torkey ended up getting one of the original styles as well, and refine that into an into an easier reproduced product mm -hmm. that turned out to be lighter, faster, stronger, all the things <laughs> that we try to get it to do. And while that was going on, uh, the idea of, I guess when you, when you develop a product, I think everybody has visions of it will be in every store around the world and it will be world domination and everybody needs to have one of these. And during that earlier gathering of the troops, um, we knew we had to deal with I had to deal with retail stores to, to get mm -hmm. the product out. There was, again, this was well before internet yet. And yeah, everything was shoe leather and phone calls to make things happen. And the in Canada they had the uh, Canadian Sporting Goods Association, mm -hmm. uh, which was sort of the the umbrella that all the retail stores became a part of and. Um, had they have their big buyers show, I guess, or the, the big show every year in February in, in Montreal. So as a, a bit of a recon, I made the trip down to Montreal and walked the show and just trying to get a feel for the new industry that I was getting involved with. And it happened to be the same year that they released the San Jose Sharks mm -hmm. uniforms when they get the, the big display of that, that happened, the unveiling was at the show and saw the, them drop the curtain on that and was amazed as probably what everybody else was when they saw the, the teals and silvers and blacks and the, the shark eating the stick and the whole deal. It, it was a pretty cool time. Um, so out that night with some folks from, from our part of the world, met from London and other Ontario folks in the industry, uh, rode in enjoying some time at a jazz club in downtown Montreal and the, the talk obviously turned to that was kind of the highlight of the day of what these new uniforms were like and sitting at the at the bar and so wow if, if I ever get a chance to make a shark mask in still being in dream stage at that point yeah and I grabbed a hold of a cocktail napkin and I doodled out what I if I'm ever going to make a shark mask this is what it should probably look like and yeah. And that was the iconic Brian Hayward mask. That's exactly what it turned into. Yes. And uh, took that napkin, crumpled it up, stuck it in my pocket. And when I got home a couple of days later, I had the napkin and built a, uh, I guess in the art world, they're referred to as artist proofs mm -hmm. where, where you test out. And I, I wanted to get it down on hard copy and create a three-dimensional mask to make sure that the concept worked. And and, and I did, and that piece is sitting right up above me on the shelf of the first original concept off that napkin doodle. And do, do you still have the napkin, though? Uh, the original napkin? No, I had to, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, we, wish I did, and uh, I, I wouldn't want to guess as to where it ended up. <laughs> uh, because that, kind of like when I was racing, we are going to the races with Pop. You just never, you never realized the intensity of the moment when you were there. Yeah looking back on it all these years later and it's like man that stupid piece of paper would be really really cool to have right now <laughs> yep um working you mentioned before about matt with vintage goalie um he, he 
put a lot of our, he and I worked together. He put a lot of effort into coming up with an Ar the Armadillo story when we did our first Legends yep. package together. So for one of the, the photo mock-ups, I doodled up another, it got the same type of napkin and st staged a shot, right? I sketched up the, the shark mask on, on that napkin yeah. and staged the shot of the old jazz club that we, that it was in. So I, I, I've got a, a replication of or a, a duplicate of just for a, yeah. that was done for that photo shoot. And I, I think it's probably over on my shelf somewhere over there. But uh. so you create this artist proof of the iconic Brian Hayward mask. How how did he find out about this mask and say I want that? Yeah, it um, it it sat up. I guess once I finished the artist proof, it ended up sitting up on the shelf in my shop for good four to six months I bet just collecting dust being cool I guess sit up on the shelf <laughs> uh when they announced the team I guess it was like an unprotected draft I guess where they picked up guys for, that were existing in the team already or in, in other yeah. team already and Brian was was tagged as the, the goaltender for it um my lack of knowledge of hockey uh, for all, for all I knew at the time, you could have been Brian Hayward. I, I had no <laughs> idea who the guy was. Um, and as that was announced, and it turned out that Brian was, his, his mom and dad lived probably a half hour, 45 minutes from, from where I lived, where, where the mm -hmm. shop was. And he traveled around in the summer. It was either a three-on-three -three or a four-on-four -four road hockey scenario that he would go travel from town to town with and from kids to young adults, I guess, whatever their, their competitions and found out that by the time I figured this out, he has had been through my town and onto <laughs> the next one already. So yep. I missed that opportunity um, is by the time I figured it out, he was going to be 45 minutes or so away in another, another town and actually had to go to my mom and get a hockey card from one of Ryan's hockey cards from her so that I knew what the guy looked like. <laughs> and as I drove out to where the new shop or where his new street hockey tournament was going on, and I packed up my casting kit to get his head mold, hopefully, and brought along that artist proof of the shark mask that's been yeah. and had to wipe the dust off it and clean it <laughs> to make it out and show him that was in the shop. And wandering around the arena holding up this card trying to put a face that matched the, the picture on the card and finally did connect with him and um, introduced myself and pulled the, the artist proof out of the bag and basically explained to him what I was doing and he stuck it on and quick ran into the bathroom to do a mirror test on it I guess. To, to you see. always got to see how they look with their new mask. That, that's everybody's first step with that. And yep. Um, he came back and said, yeah, I'd like to do this, but I'm leaving for training camp in, it was either a week or a week and a half when he was hopping on a jet to California and probably, probably like Mark's scenario. I was like, sure, we can, we can get that ready for you. And so I cast him up that day and from there, hauled it back to the shop and built the plaster positive from it and just went through the process of creating him his version of that shark mask mm -hmm. and it was the the night before he was leaving to go to california i drove to his mom and dad's place 
and met with him and the family and it was nice. I had tea and pie on the front porch <laughs> with, with the Hayward family and got Brian his new mask and I don't even not sure there was even many adjustments that needed to be done to it that evening and next day he was off to California and uh, I think it was three days after that uh, back when we had answering machines back then a little box that sat on your desk beside your phone that would record incoming yep. phone calls that, that you weren't able to get pick up on and there was a couple calls and one in particular came through was from a, a client of mine in Toronto that was almost out of breath himself and said like dude you've, you've got to grab a USA Today which at the time was a newspaper yep of the yeah they just recently ended uh printing I'm an old newspaper guy, so I'm very, very familiar with it. <laughs> okay. And the, the newspapers at the time were sold in little metal boxes parked at the side yep. of the road, usually near bus stops. Uh, so I hopped on my bike and I blasted all around town to grab the today's copy of USA Today. And it a uh, nice color shot of it on the front page of the sports section. And with, a, I think, a blurb of Shark Scully has menacing mask, kind of a phrase to it. And at that point it I think that's really when the fuse got lit and when things really started to take off that um, newspapers back in the early 90s were the that, that was the internet that, that yeah. was where everybody got their news from yep so it, I missed it those popped, days <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes um, and it did popped up in posters and it, it was a really high profile piece again it really caught me off guard as to how much traction that that thing got so um it took off he wore it got a ton of exposure with it and it certainly helped raise our profile from zero to a hundred in a matter of a week and so and again while i was then working on retail orders a product that was being distributed worldwide at that point i got clients that went from japan right through the united states and different parts of canada and over in europe all back before internet stuff. So it was uh, kind of really crazy how much of a, a spread that had happened really organically on its own. Okay, we're gonna stop this episode right here. It's a long one, so we're gonna break it up into two parts. This will be part one, and you should be seeing part two pop up on your podcast platform pretty soon. I hope you'll take a listen.